0: Okay, good morning ladies and welcome. It is a true privilege to be here with you today and to be able to walk through this next section with all of you. But before we do that, let's quickly just go back and see where we've already been. We have seen our calling and the beautiful reality that we have been born again to a very living hope, Jesus Christ and the truth that his being alive is such good news for us as it reminds us that he is actively at work in us and for us now, interceding before the Father and sustaining us in his perfect peace. Peter has assured us that for those of us in Christ, our inheritance is imperishable and unfading. It is quite literally being kept by God for us. It will not be revoked, and we will not be forsaken. We've later learned the value of striving for holiness and faithful obedience, answering the question of where our hope is, reminding us that we are to be ready and prepared for action, to have a clear and sober thinking as we walk in reverent fear of the Lord, certain that every promise of God, every living and abiding word can and should be trusted. Peter's walked us through the beauty of our identity as sojourners here and citizens of the kingdom of God. In Christ, we are chosen and precious in the sight of God. We have seen that we have been called to be in his family for a purpose, to proclaim these truths and to live out active worship for him. We saw that being a part of the household of God means that we have been intricately woven from the womb to become the very stones of God's temple, built upon our firm foundation, Jesus Christ our Lord. And last week we saw, as Emma walked us through, that by doing the good work of submission, while living as freed servants of God, looking onward to our eternal hope, we glorify God. And why is it important to remind ourselves of all of this? Well, when your husband is insisting that all the lights and devices and the coffee are linked to Google to make life easier for you, so that I can in turn ask Google to turn the lights on while standing right beside the switch. Google can respond nearly every time. Turning off Christmas tree or have a good day, big cheddar Charlie. It is good in those moments to remember that we can entrust ourselves to God as his vessels for mercy, knowing that this is not our home and that we are called to glorify him. In case you didn't pick up on it, This week we're going to be looking at 1 Peter 3, 1-12 and considering how we as women are called to live Christ-centered lives to the glory of God by doing good in our marriages as wives, as husbands, and then looking at all people within the dark and hostile world. And we will continue to look at submission within this institution and the impact of our testimony. But before we do that, let me pray. Heavenly Father... Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord. Just and true are your ways. Who will not fear and glorify your name, for you alone are holy? Praise you, O God, that you have called us to be born again to this very living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Praise you that you are keeping for us our inheritance by your power and that you have sealed us by your Holy Spirit. Father God, We thank you for the many blessings that you pour over us. We praise you, God, that you are building us up as your spiritual house and that by your grace you have declared us your holy nation and royal priest, gracing us with the imperishable and unfading inheritance of the most spectacular, most beautiful treasure this life has to offer, yourself through your Son. May we not lose sight of this, God. May our eyes remain fixed upon Jesus, our example and our hope. And as we consider and look to hear what you have to say for us now in submission on, our, in, on submission in our marriages, Father, I pray that you would help us to look long at our Savior. God, that you would just be with me um, and give me the words. Father, to speak, that you would be speaking through me as I read this passage, God. And may the ladies here and at home hear not my voice, but yours. God, may you be glorified. Amen. Okay, nervous. Ladies, if you want to turn with me to 1 Peter 3, 1 to 12, I'll start. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless Last week, we saw that Peter charged the sojourners and servants of God with a call to do the good work of submission. Submission involving much more than simply just the act of yielding to our superiors, but one marked by a life of worship and one lived out to the glory of God. We saw in 2.17 that we were given a command to honor everyone and fear God. And that was made possible only because as God's chosen people, we have been born again and given access into the grace in which we now stand, set free not to persist in sin, but to give our whole selves in devotion to good works, bearing fruit for God in Christ Jesus, so that we may silence the foolish by making much of him. Today, we'll continue to look at the role of submission, considering how we are called to live out Christ-centered lives. Uh Uh-oh. I'll keep talking really loudly. Can everyone still hear me? Okay. Christ-centered lives to the glory of God by doing good works through submission. Peter continues in chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of you do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your pure and respectful conduct. Here we see that the charge made to the servants and the call to emulate Christ is in view again. I get this from the transitional verse likewise that starts our passage. Like the servants that we saw, wives are to be mindful of God and to do good despite the realities of their marriage. An unbelieving husband could easily be quick to temper, ladies, unreasonable, unjust, Wives are called to adorn pure and reverent conduct and to win their husbands without words. The women that Peter was writing to did not have the status and equality that we are afforded today, the same status that we celebrated just yesterday for International Women's Day, but rather they were expected to obey their husbands in all things. I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but Plutarch, who is a Greek historian, said, a wife should not acquire her own friends, but should make her husband friends her own. The gods are the first most significant friends. For this reason, it is proper for a wife to recognize only those gods whom her husband worships. Ladies, these women would likely have put themselves into greater hostility when choosing to stand firm in their faith within this marriage. They could have easily endured harsh or verbally abusive words. It's not unlikely to think that they could have had physical abuse at times, and yet it is to these, that, these women that Peter writes. How important then for them to emulate Christ Jesus in all their conduct. How great the cost that they had to lay, for them to lay themselves aside in pursuit of submission by seeking to honor and encourage their husband instead of retaliate. Peter is not calling women to become doormats. Nor is he saying that we are to follow our husbands into sin, but rather, having been set free from sin, we can live by faith to do the good work of submitting to our husbands. And our submission is done because it is the will of God, and because he is our husband, the husband of the husbandless. Our friend and our inheritance, we can submit as unto him. This, sex, this self-sacrificial good work will testify to him and others that God is real and that he draws near to his people. In verses 3 to 5, Peter goes on to exhort these women to adorn the character of Christ, our risen Lamb, clothing themselves with the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Again, for the women of this time, outward ornaments displayed to to public wealth and class. Not unlike today, a person's identity was very much tied to their appearance and social status. The battle to be liked, to be heard, and approved by others, whether it's our peers, our co-workers, or our husbands, was not uncommon, and it did breed much sin. So Peter calls them here to live counterintuitively to what we would think is normal. He has taken us from proclaiming the gospel without words to adorning everlasting beauty without looking in the mirror. I like the example that John Piper has given about the mirror. He says, A mirror faces away from itself to its source of light so that it may have some use in the world, and prayer faces us away from itself toward God so that it might be some use in the world. A mirror is designed to receive light and channel it for the good of others. And prayer is designed to receive grace and channel it for the good of others also. The value of a mirror is not in itself, but it's in its potential to let something else be seen. Ladies, we are called to act like these mirrors, not to point others to ourselves, but to be directing others to Christ. We are called to live Christ-centered lives, by doing good to the glory of God. We don't want to distract the watching world with ourselves in any capacity, but to bear his image and point others to him. Peter says in verse 4, to adorn yourselves with an imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. The beauty that he speaks of never fades. It's a beauty that only grows to become more and more radiant as we press into him. Much like our pure and reverent conduct that's produced through the work of the spirit, this beauty is not bought in stores, but it's within the heart of every daughter of the king. And for God, who sees not as man but looks on the heart, it is of great value. This gentle and quiet spirit is not a personality trait. It is the eminence of a woman who meets adversity of all kinds with a calm confidence in God. A gentle woman is a woman of remarkable strength and persistence. She does not attack back when someone sins against her, but waits on God knowing that he is just, and she can suffer without bitterness. A quiet woman is one who is calm, peaceful, and tranquil, as opposed to restless, rebellious, or insubordinate. In short, a gentle and quiet spirit is a woman who has entrusted herself to God completely, It is someone who is living to the glory of God by emulating Christ Jesus. Remember how we left off last week. We ended with the ultimate expression of these good works, the example that we have in Christ. Jesus, who emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, he endured it all knowing the joy that was to come, our future glory, entrusting himself and all who wronged him entirely to God the Father. We looked at how Peter sat with the guards and watched as Jesus went before the high priest and remained silent. Like a lamb before the slaughter, he quietly sat as they ridiculed him, mocked him, and later flogged him before nailing him to that cross. Remember that just before that, in Matthew 26, he prayed asking that the cup be passed from him. Yet in complete submission to God the Father, he closed, yet not my will, but yours be done this ladies is the epitome of a gentle and meek submissive spirit Mm -hmm. this is the beauty of submission and to this we have been called despite the circumstances we find ourselves in we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we Are. are yet without sin so we can draw near with confidence to receive mercy and find grace in the time of need Jesus, our victorious king, has already won the battle for us. When you're fighting with your husband, that's included too, I think. <laughs> he is riding beside us every step of the way to give us enough grace for every season and every moment. The very power that raised him to glory is at work in those in Christ Jesus and will continue to work until his return. Peter continues to give us an example of a godly woman who adorns such beauty, Sarah. Much could be said about how and why she is a great example, but I'll keep to what I think is key. Sarah hoped and saw the goodness of God and was certain that nothing was too hard for him. She set her hope fully in the grace yet to be revealed while abiding under the supply of grace that she lived in in the moment. Lady, she saw firsthand the power of God and his faithfulness. Consider all that she and Abraham endured while they were walking on the way to the promised land. Yet she submitted. But note, she didn't do it as one without a voice. She wasn't a doormat, as one would call it, but she spoke and worked together with Abraham. This is a picture of the beauty of complementarianism. Ladies, our marriages and roles have been designed with purpose by God, and we need not look over and compare ourselves to our neighbors or try to compete with them. We definitely need not compare our husbands to theirs. In fact, we shouldn't. But it is good for us to look at these godly examples among us, and here in the word, we have many to spur us on. God has given us all that we need here and has designed the body of believers the family of God, to help us. We're not meant to do it alone, and we aren't. I find it really neat that as I was trying desperately to find a segue to go from wives to husbands, because that's a bit more daunting for me, Peter had already done this for me so well, so I'm just going to use his words and bring to light the fact that he ends that section by looking at the marriage of a husband and wife. In verse 7, Peter says, likewise, husbands. Now, Peter is not calling husbands to submit to their wives, as that would go against the very created order that God has designed. He is instead insisting that likewise, these men show honor to their wives as co-heirs. Husbands, you are called to live Christ-centered lives to the glory of God while doing good as you lead in our marriages. This likewise displays the gospel to a watching world, and a broken one without words. Consider Ephesians 5, 21-33, where Paul exhorts husbands and wives to the same calling, calling wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, and husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Picking up in verse 32, it goes on to say that this is the mystery, the profound mystery, and it refers to Christ and the church. Husbands are to know and understand their wives. This includes both our strengths and weaknesses, our sins exposed, and then to wash their wives over by the word. By giving honour, husbands exalt their wives in the gates. They are to love their wives self-sacrificially following the example of Christ, striving side by side together with them for the gospel. I won't go into it but the last part of seven reminds us also that the prayers of our husbands are impacted by their conduct toward their wives they may not have submission written in their commands ladies like we do but the call to lead the home and the weight of the responsibility that comes with that is is great and we can fulfill our call to submit to our own husbands by encouraging them and being their helpmate by spurring them on and allowing them to lead, knowing that God ultimately is sovereign and judge. The marriage union was uniquely designed by God from beginning of creation to be a reflection of Christ and the church. And when we live out the good works of submission and honor in our marriages, we make much of God. Consider these examples, Abraham and Sarah, and look to the marriages of godly men and women in our church. They display the cross. They display this gospel. And to the world that is broken and where divorce and abuse is so evident, they're light. Peter goes on to close this section with a list of godly virtues for all of you to exemplify, seen in verses eight to 12. He lists unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love and humility. All are markings of a life lived seeking to serve and labor for others. We are called to submit ourselves and every area of our lives under the rule of Christ. And we are here again called to pursue love and peace and to honor everyone. We can see that this is a parallel to, again, 2.17. Peter also Calls us. Oh, sorry. Peter also calls them there to love and honor all people, and to have this mind that is ours in Christ. We are also called not to return an eye for an eye or revile when reviled, but rather to be a blessing. Does that sound familiar? Just last week, in two twenty-two to twenty-five, we saw that Christ did not revile and nor did he threaten. He humbly and meekly endured, looking ahead. In the same way, we are not to revile but to bless by doing good through submission and as we live out these Christ-centered lives to the glory of God. Peter closes this section citing Psalm 34, a psalm that was written in thanksgiving to God for his protection and care. And what a great and encouraging reminder it is for us. God is encamped around those who walk in the fear of him as we have been called to do. He hears and blesses those who fear him abundantly, and he does hear our cries and our prayers. His eyes are always watching over us, and likewise we live before his face every moment of every day. When we want to retaliate or we want to nag our husbands, remember that we are before the face of the Father. He is near to the brokenhearted and crushed in spirit, and he redeems, and none who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is good news. Ladies, as I close, I don't know how any of you approach submission, but when I was asked to teach on this, I immediately wanted to switch to another passage with just about anybody. Uh, because I think of submission, and I think of how imperfectly I do this on a regular basis. And that was just considering it in like the very broad, I'm going to obey everything my husband says because that's what I think most people think of when they think we need to submit. But the call that we have to submission is so, so much more than this. It is an opportunity for us to live out the gospel that we proclaim before our husbands, unbelieving and believing husbands. In the world that we live in, where it's so easy for women to talk poorly of their husbands when we get together, complain or bring things down, um, we have an opportunity to be silent and meek. The number of women that we know who have come to the faith through giggles, just because of that, alone having gone, and, and, and women aren't talking poorly of their husbands, and that being something that's that's this, this treasure is is kind of sad, but also a really awesome opportunity for us to live out. And then within the family of God, to be able to just honor one another and show love to one another as we walk together in fear it's a blessing and so I just encourage all of you to be thinking that way as we leave and so I'm just going to close in prayer we have enough time to to gab on Father God I thank you, I thank you for your word I thank you for your sustaining grace and for getting me through that Lord. (laughs) Father I praise you that once we were not a people and now we have become your people and that you have graced us with your mercy. We praise you God that Jesus is encamped around us all and that as we look to you we are radiant and not put to shame. God as we've been hearing we thank you that the honor is for us and what a great honor it is to know you and be known by you to know that despite all that we suffer here, and we know that we will, your word has told us to anticipate it in some way and to continue to hold on and look to the hope that we have in Christ. Despite our suffering, Father, we can stand firm against all such hostility, recounting who you are and all that you have promised us. God, knowing that every tear, sickness, death, Every broken moment here in this earth, God, it will be worth it when we are before you in the new heaven and new earth, serving you in freedom day and night. Father God, we long for that. We long when we will be sheltered by your presence. God, where you will be leading us to springs of living water and wipe away every tear from our eyes. God, when all sin and sorrow has been washed away and we dwell with you, our inheritance, this is our encouragement. God, as we go to submit with our to our own husbands, as we go to honor the brotherhood, Father, and, and the watching world, I pray that we could cling to this truth, that we could cling to Christ. God, that you would be our strength and by your spirit you could remind us of these truths. May they be always before us that we can endure and run this race well for you, God. We thank you and give you all the praise and glory in Christ's name. Amen.